Hey, hey, before we get into this episode, want to let you know that Blue Spruce has a 454 unit in Atlanta, Georgia. That market is booming. We're really excited about this particular property and we're excited to close it. We want to close it with you. So if you want to be a part of this deal, it is for accredited investors only. So there's two ways. If you're accredited, awesome. Let us know. And if you want to raise money, awesome. Let us know. We'll give you a slice of the general partnership and you bring in your investors. So without further ado, here is today's episode. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams, but again, I'm not your host. And do you know why? Because we've got Brandon Gatte in the house from Highlands Ranch. Brandon Gatte, what we decided to do on this episode, and go back and listen to the very last episode. It came out two days ago. What we decided to do here, is we found out, you know what? There's going to be some questions that Adam Adams doesn't know that everybody has. And you want to know why I didn't know that everybody had some of these questions? Because I grew up in a really weird way. I am one of the only people that grew up with a dad who was already in multifamily. I grew up with a dad who already had self-storage units. I grew up with a dad who did, who did tax deeds and bought pieces of land every October in uh, Utah every single year. He tried to get three, four, five, six of these pieces of raw land every year. Okay. So this is how I grew up. And because I kind of always thought that investing was normal, my dad tried to get me to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when, when it first came out, like I was a little kid, right? And he was already trying to re have me read this. I thought that everybody, when they got old, they got boring and they invest in real estate. That's how I thought it. But what we decided with Brandon Gatte is that we should get together and have one podcast, which now is turned into two. We decided we would have one podcast and one podcast where it was kind of my turn to be on the hot seat. So with that said, in the last episode, you would have heard questions one through eight. In this episode, we've got nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. So, Brandon, you're the engineer. How many, how many questions does that leave us with today? Ooh, that's tough. I don't have my calculator in front of me. We got, we got a grand total of, it looks like we got six left. Okay, perfect. So, we've got six questions left. I am excited to dive into these six questions. Uh, Brandon, do you want to, how about this? Give us a little bit of your background, because I didn't even talk about how you were an engineer <laughs> on the last one. So, why don't you just kind of break us in? What what's your experience level? So I'm I'm a brand new brand new investor to this this game. Uh, no real estate experience really to speak of in the past. Got a pretty I think a pretty typical background for for people getting getting started in this at a younger age. As I grew up middle class America, my parents worked real hard to get us what they could afford and get enough for us to get by. But you know we were never we were never getting more than really all we needed. So I worked really hard and always had the path that I needed to go to college. I needed to get a good job. For me, that was engineering. Uh, and then when I got into the real world, it was, I need to climb that corporate ladder as, as fast as I can to make as much as I can. And that's how I thought I was going to get to that, that elusive financial freedom was just to, to climb up as quick as I could and, and prove myself that that's, that's what I could do and what I needed to do. Uh, I learned really quick in the last few years that that corporate ladder only 
it, it only goes so far and you really don't get that that far ahead and you really sacrifice your your time freedom to get there uh, so I started looking for other avenues found rich dad poor dad like most people read it and I was sold sold right then and there and last eight months that's all I've really thought about all right thank you for thank you for doing that and I'm sorry I didn't give you opportunity on the last episode but hey we're we're good and we're moving forward so we've got question number nine queued up what's the question my friend all right so when we're looking at getting getting financing for these multifamily properties there's a price range where you go up to the traditional Fannie Freddie uh, what what kind of price ranges am I needing to look at going to Fannie Freddie or searching out regional banks in my market that I'm searching for to, to go market to all right so the question is who should we get financing from and what kind of financing should we get? And I think it's a great question. First off, just like you would if you were buying a house and you went to a realtor. And if once you go to the realtor when you're buying a single family house, what's going to end up happening is they're going to ask you something that they ask every single buyer. And do you know what that is, Brandon? How much money you got? How much you're going to put down? Those are good questions, but they don't ask that to every single buyer. They will say, are you pre-qualified? Do you already have a lender in place? Do you already know how much you can qualify for? Because I'm not going to waste my time as a realtor driving you around in my Mercedes <laughs> or whatever kind of car they have if I don't know what kind of car that the bank's going to let you have. So I guess what I'm saying is reverse engineer the process by really just talking to the banks first, the lenders, um, the brokers. So what you want to find out, my friends, is from them, what should we be looking at? Now, Adam's own opinion, my opinion only, is if you're looking at deals, you should look at nothing smaller than $2 million. Just honestly. $2 million is is the smallest end because the bigger you go, the more attracted the banks are going to be to you. So they don't want to go to something smaller than a million because they don't even they won't even give you a non-recourse loan. They'll make you have full recourse. You'll sign on the loan. Right. And if if something happens with it, they're not only going to take the property, they're also going to go after you and everything you have. But if you can find a way to get a non-recourse loan and they're going to underwrite the property. So if something happens with the property, they just kind of wipe their hands clean of it. And they say, all right, cool. You, you're off the hook. You know, it was non-recourse. So I would say, and, well, just back up. Why will they give you a non-recourse loan? And the answer is because it's a safer bet for them. That's the real reason. Okay. It's not just because it's a higher dollar amount. It's, it's once the dollar amount gets a little bit higher, they take back those properties less often. Just like back in the crash of 2008 and 9, when they were taking back a bunch of houses, lots and lots of people were getting foreclosed on. I'm sure you remember that. Oh, yeah. But during that time, <clears throat> multifamily, these Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans, had less than a 1% default rate. So knowing that is to know why and how they underwrite is to protect themselves. And that's why they let go and say, all right, cool. You don't even have to sign on this because we know you're going to pay your, we know you're going to pay it because it's safe. So that's why I'm saying go to go from 2 million up to 20 million 
that'd be my my best uh, idea of where you should start. Now, I've used smaller regional banks, and I've used Fannie, and I've used Freddie, um, and we've even looked at HUD. We would love to close something with HUD. Um, the price ranges you should be looking for. The, this is a great question for a real, uh, not a real estate broker, but a loan broker, um, a commercial loan broker, because they, because this changes all the time, Brandon, like, so this isn't like an evergreen question anyway, because I could say, I could say there's a Fannie Mae, uh, Freddie Mac small balance program. That's 5 million yeah. and under, mm -hmm. but I don't know when this is going to come out or when someone's going to listen to it. So the real answer is look for a property that's 2 million to 20 million, but know who you're going to be working with ahead of time. Be talking with the lender. The lender's part of your team. In the last episode, you asked who's part of your team. Well, the lender's a pretty freaking important part. Of <laughs> so you've got to kind of want to have that person in, in the beginning. So what's question number 10? So if we're going for these two to $20 million properties and we're going Fannie Freddie, we're going to need net worth, liquidity, experience to be a part of that, that equation there. So how, how does a new investor uh, market themselves to those types of people that have liquidity, net worth to, to meet those requirements for these loans? Uh, I love it. So how does a new investor, and that, that word is very important to talk about, how does a new investor attract net worth, experience, and liquidity? You have to get creative, okay? You have to become not a new investor anymore. I like it. <laughs> so that means we've got to go back to a, an answer that's been on a, a couple of our other questions before. Mm -hmm. Okay, you've got a partner. Because you're not going to attract people with net worth experience or liquidity if you're just brand new. Because when you're just brand new, you are trouble. Um, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of effort. There's a lot of knowledge. That's why we talked about having some type of education or mentor earlier in the last episode. So what I would say is when I was new and I had total knowledge that I had no knowledge okay of what I was doing I, I didn't have all of these pieces the best thing that I started doing is I started to slowly find liquidity partners that I would I would talk about my experience partners and my net worth partners okay and then I would talk to my experience partners, just people that I knew that had experience. And it wasn't like I just went and asked them the first day. I, oh, this is great. This is a good takeaway for everybody. Ask more questions, guys. Ask more questions, okay? Love it. So when you're new and you're at a big real estate event, especially if it's uh, an event where it's all multifamily, there's no reason to pretend like you've done something and there's no reason to... Um, to try to build a team when you're brand new. You don't, you don't just say, hey, I've never done anything. Do you want to be on my team? That's not an attractive way to talk. So what you do is you ask, 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 ask. Keep in the back of your mind the thing that everybody needs. Okay, just keep it in the back of your mind. Store it away for the next time you see them. That's my best advice. And this isn't easy, but I never told you this was an easy business, so it's okay. 
And as you kind of keep this database of what everybody's kind of needing, when you finally talk to somebody a month from now and they're, and they just say, Hey, I need somebody who's a liquidity partner. Then what you have the ability to do is you go back to those cards, that, that stack of cards and you maybe have your liquidity partner stack. And then you, you say, Hey, I've just want to let you know that I'm partnering with this experienced person and we're going to need somebody with liquidity. Okay. Or you call somebody with experience and say, Hey, we've got a we've got a deal. We've got net worth. We've got liquidity. How would, how would you like to be part of our team? I just need an experienced partner on my team. I just need a net worth partner. So it's a slow process. It's a difficult process, but it's a process that works. It worked for me and it's gotten me to hundreds and hundreds of doors in a, in less in just over a year, in about 13 months, uh, 14 months, I've gotten 800 doors, you know, which I think is a lot, right? For most people, I, I don't really see people growing that fast, but no. it comes from asking the question first, understanding what somebody needs. And once you understand what they need and how to give it to them, You'll, you'll use that later and say, I already have the net worth and experience. I just need one liquidity partner. Would you like to, would you like to be a part of our team? And you, that actually is something that's good for them because all they need to be is just have, have some liquidity to sign on the loan. So great question, how to attract somebody because banks need experience, net worth and liquidity. Those are the three requirements needed for commercial financing. So a net worth, experience, liquidity, but how do you attract those people? I think it's a slow process, but if you rewind that and listen to it a couple times, I think you really get it. Nah. Um, let's let's take a quick break. Um, we'll we'll take a quick break and we'll just be right back. So, uh, Brandon, will you be with me? Absolutely, man. All right, here we go. Remember, we have a live deal in Atlanta, and we're very excited to close this property in Atlanta with you. If you'd like to be a part of this, it is a 506C accredited investors only. So you could be part of the general partnership and raise a little bit of money with us. Or if you are accredited, this is a great opportunity to have 400 plus doors to your name. So without further ado, let's get back into the episode. And we're back with question number 11 from Brandon Gattay. Uh Brandon, give it to me. All right. So we said I'm an engineer. So we all know that all I do is numbers and I, I definitely get stuck in the analysis paralysis end of things. And when I'm looking at deals, one of the biggest things I'm looking at is exit strategy and how to be conservative. We hear people talking about where we're at in the market cycle and that there's potential correction coming up. So how are you guys uh, conservatively underwriting and what are you guys doing when you're looking at exit strategies to kind of hedge that risk? Awesome. Okay. Yeah. I love this question, Brandon. Really, really good stuff. So I agree. We're at a scary position in a market cycle. Who knows what's going to happen? Okay. I do, I do not know how. I don't know how much. I don't know when. I just, I just know that we've been growing a lot and what goes up must come down. Mm -hmm. So the, there's five things that I kind of look at. And of course, I have an underwriter who's smarter than me. He's like you. He's an engineer. He gets, he gets all this stuff, but I'll, I'll just be hundred percent honest. There's five things that we try to make sure that we're doing in every deal. Okay. And this is specifically because of the market cycle and where we are within it. And the first one is, is because of where we are, 
I like to know that we have some equity in our deal. Okay, so I'm buying at a better cap rate than the market is showing. That's the first one. The next one is cash flow. And we just need to make sure that we have a certain amount of cash flow, which actually I, I put DSCR and I put cash flow, but you could kind of merge those two together um, yeah. because they're pretty much the same thing. But we just make sure that we have cash flow coming in from day one, from day one, all right? Because if we have cash flow coming in from day one, we know we're going to easily be able to pay our mortgage. So that's very, very important to us. And the DSCR it for us is we, this is called debt service coverage ratio. I know Brandon knows it. I know a lot of listeners already know it, but the point is there's going to be two or three people that are listening to the podcast and just have no idea what DSCR is. So um, it's the ratio of how much of what comes in, how much of your net operating income, what percentage of that goes to your mortgage. And they, they work it out like this. So if, if half of your net operating income goes to your mortgage, that means that you have a 2.0 DSCR. If uh, most of it goes in and you have 25% left over after you pay your mortgage, then that basically just means that you have a 1.25 because you make enough for your mortgage and 25% more. All right, so we underwrite where we need to have at least a 1.6. That's important for us is we start out with a 1.6% to 1.6 DSCR. That means if, let's just say the mortgage costs $100,000. This is for the listener. Mortgage costs me $100,000 at the end of this year. So I need to have for cash flow an extra $60,000 net cash flow. Not net operating income, okay? But the net cash flow after paying my mortgage needs to be. 60%. So that's very, very important to us. And let me give you an example. DSCR, debt service coverage ratio, the minimums are 1.2 or 1.25. And multifamily had less than a 1% default rate in the last crash, 2008, 2009. It was 0.8%, 0.8, not even 1% default rate. And the banks were underwriting at a 1.2 or 1.25. But my company is more conservative than the bank. I want even more cash flow. I want to have even more of a potential hedge against a potential correction in the future. So we just make sure we have a lot of cash flow. The next one is value add. Value adds right now are, in my opinion, I think this is got to be just opinion, but I feel pretty confident that other people would agree. Value adds are safer in this market than buying just for cash, just buying what's called a yield play. So there's value play, yield play. There's, there's value add versus just a cash flowing asset. So because we have the ability to control the value better on a value add, because we know that there's things we can do to improve the property, to, to make it where it is now, to even a better place. That's one of the strategies that we're making sure to look for in this part of the market cycle. And the last one that I think is very important that we all should be thinking about is loan structure, like the terms of the loan. And when I say the term, 
I, I don't mean all these other details. Uh, like, uh, yes, I don't, I don't think you should be buying an ARM, which is an adjustable rate mortgage. But more specifically, I mean, how long is the term of when this loan is done? Okay. All mortgages are front loaded, all of them. That's just, I think most people should know this. And because of their, them being front loaded, the first few years, the loan, the banks are making all this interest, but you're not really paying the loan down. Okay. Right. So th what they do in certain market cycles, when they know that the rates are going to go up, they want that loan term, even though it's a 30 year amortized loan, even though it's amortized over 30 years, they still call it a term, which might end at two years, five years, seven years, 10 years. Okay. So you might have a 10 year term that the way that it's written is amortized over 30 years, but you can't even hold that loan for 30 years, even if you wanted to at the 10th year, if it's a 10 year am, they, they cancel it. And so the same thing goes, if you have a two year term, that means you have to basically balloon payment. You have to balloon it at the end of two years or five or seven or 10. So because of the market cycle and because interest rates are going up and because um, potentially cap rates will be decompressing, which may, means that the value of your property will get worse, you want to make sure that that term is long enough to withstand the cycle. You want to make sure that that term is as close to 10 as possible. So that, this is very, very valuable information if, if you understand that and you're a new investor trying to get into multifamily and you find somebody offering you a two-year term with a 30-year AM, you need to know that it doesn't mean that you have 30 years to pay it off. And that two-year mark might be the, might, I don't know, but it might possibly be the worst time in history for you to, close, to, to pay that off. So you want to have that as long as possible. Ask your lender, if I pay a little bit more, can I have 10 years? Can I pay more points? Can I pay more interest? You don't want a two or you don't even really want a five. Okay. Try to get seven or 10. So we'll go on to question number 12. Awesome. So as a, as a new investor and I'm getting out there looking for deals and trying to find partners, what's the best way that I can, I can market myself. Should I be making a website already? Business cards, uh, anything like that? Okay. So business cards. Yes. I don't care if you have a logo, honestly. I don't care if you have a website. The reason why you have to have to have to have business cards, and it can just be your name and your phone number, and that's fine. And actually, I, I recommend you have a, your, your picture on it because a lot of people will be more likely to remember who you are if, if they can look at it and be like, oh, that's who they are. If they just look at it and they're like, it's, a, it's just a name, but I met a lot of Brandons or I met a lot of Adams. Um, that's really not going to help you. So I'd say have a photograph on, uh, on your card for sure. Have a phone number or, and, or an email for sure. And your name, that's enough. You don't need a business name, but maybe multifamily syndicator or, or, uh, investor, whatever you, you, you can do whatever you want. You don't really need a, a, a company name yet unless you want one. So you don't need a website. You can have a website, but you don't need one. Um, the things that I would recommend the most for 
a new person to brand themselves is, is what I did. Two years ago, around two years ago from today, I started a meetup group. When I started the meetup group, I had done a few deals. My dad had done a few deals, but I wasn't like the number one person. You know, I wasn't much. I just wanted to have a network of people around me. And because I put passion into that meetup group, it ended up branding myself better than anything else that I could have done. And if you have time, if you have time and attention to go to someone else's meetup group, I believe that you need to just have your own. So same thing with the podcast. The podcast allows me to brand myself more than almost anything that I have because I have listeners. I don't even remember. The last time I checked it, there, there was like six or 10 countries. I don't, I don't remember, but it's countries that I'd never heard of. You know, unfortunately, there's some countries that are very, very small in size. There are very, not so many people live there, but you go and look at your podcast and you see that you're getting downloads in multiple, multiple countries. And it's very interesting when that happens. And when this happens, I could reach out to somebody else who's big into the company, into this business, right? You know, Joe Fairless, Rod Cleef, we've already mentioned a couple people today. Uh, they've both been on my podcast, okay? And I'm not friends with Joe because I don't have a podcast or a meetup. I'll, I'll just be completely blunt and honest with you. The leverage that my meetup group and my podcast allow for me allows me to better position myself to even speak with some of the top of the top. And when I speak with the top of the top, I can offer them something. They'll remember me. They'll be appreciative. I can share this in front of my audience. And that's really what will benefit you the most. If you want a website, sure, have a website. But let me give you, let me give you the third tier to branding yourself if you're new into the business. Uh, let me give you the third tier. Well, who knows if, it, I'm not saying that these are in any particular order. I'm just saying a different tier from podcasts and meetups that might actually be easier for you. So what that would be is how you brand yourself on your own social media. Okay, you're on LinkedIn, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram. You might have a Twitter account. So it's really what you're talking about on your social media. That's really gonna start to brand you. And have your own friends that have known you for a long time start to ask you questions. Oh, I didn't know you were buying 100-unit apartment buildings. Well, yeah, I haven't closed one by myself yet, but the team I work with, they have 800 doors. You know what I mean? Like yeah. how easy that can be to just, yeah. to just say, hey, we're looking for this, we're looking for that. And, and just to kind of change the stars of your own following today. Uh, very, very good info there. So your own social media rebrand re yourself on your own social media, perhaps start a podcast, perhaps start a meetup. If you want to have a website, sure, have a website. I just think the podcast actually, my podcast, it, it costs about the same for me as just having a website. You know, it, it's slightly more, but it's a lot stronger. It has better SEO than any other website because people click to it automatically. Like people click to the podcast more than they would click to any other regular website. Like what's the incentive to just click on your, your website? Right. You know? Yeah. So anyway, it's just because more people click, I believe that that 
increases the uh, SEO, the search engine optimization. And you can do things like keep posting uh, your, a blog or your own, uh, your own meetup groups or your own podcast on your podcast, on your website. And when you keep having this, you can draw people toward it. So it, it all kind of like intertwines, but these are just some really good ideas. But um, the best way to sum it up, how to really brand yourself and how to kind of get yourself out there is you want to give people what they want. And by that, I mean, specifically, um, being a person of value. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh, absolutely. So to be a person of value, no matter how you're doing it, no matter what vehicle you take, whether it's a website or a card or a podcast or a meetup or your own social media, you have to help other people get where they want. What I, I mean, I don't have it queued up, but somebody, Rockefeller, I don't remember, somebody said to get what you want, you have to give another other, a lot of other people what they want. Something like that. Do you yeah. know the quote? Autom do you know it automatically? Because I don't know it off the top of my head, okay. but I definitely know what you're talking about. And I, I've heard you you say it during some of your events, even. And it's yeah. So if I if I can offer real, true information from experience to every listener, to everybody on my Facebook, to people at my meetup group. The first thing that happens when I'm only thinking about what they want, even though this, to a lot of people, this doesn't seem like a good business strategy, okay? Because it doesn't have like results today. It just doesn't. This is a one year or two year or 20 year, <laughs> you know? Grant yeah. Cardone has been giving people what they want for 20 plus years. And look where it's got him. <laughs> exactly. So for me, that's what I do is I need to find a way to help people get where they want to go. And you just got to be selfless about it. You just got to kind of have the right reasons behind it. And you don't need to expect something to change right now today. You don't need to expect something to change right, right away. But I, I promise that if you put your whole heart and soul into it, um, it's, it's done a ton for me. It's just, it's done so much to run the podcast, the meetup and my own social media by offering value to others first. That's the main thing that, so I won an award recently and Brandon was there when I received the award. It was yep. called master investor of the year award. Think congratulations. Thanks brother. Thanks brother. Yeah, well deserved. Thank you so much. And that came because of selflessness. You know, when they told me that I won the award and why I won it, they said that the answer to why I won it was because I was thinking of other people first in everything that I did. And honestly, that is a great milestone for my whole company, Blue Spruce, because our company name is on this award. And it went in magazines, you know, that kind of thing happens. And maybe it's not going to be on that big scale, but 
I put my whole heart and soul into this, but if, if you just at least make your meetup valuable, you're going to have people start telling their people, start telling their people. I actually, uh, most people that follow me on this know, but I flew to meetup to teach them how to do meetup. Um, my meetup got so popular that meetup headquarters gave me an all expense trip. They paid my alcohol. They paid my food. <laughs> they paid my, uh, hotel i mean it was all expense like i didn't i i paid for part of my plane ticket but the reason why is because i wasn't there selling a product i wasn't turning people off or turning people away or i was just offering value and i did it long enough that it became true that people are talking about who adam adams is and to me that seems crazy I'll be honest. To me, that just seems crazy because like any single person listening and just like Brandon, we all know that we're all just human. We all know that. I'm no different than you and we're no different than anybody listening. But I do like a small 1% different in my day-to-day life. That's just the compound effect. There's a book about it as well. But it's just continuing to put 1% more effort each day to add value, which is came back around to me way more than a hundredfold. I cannot measure what the podcast and my meetups have done for me because I come from a place of value first. So I know this is, this is question number 12. It's only the second question of this episode or no, is it the, no, it's, there's it's a, a few more, but yeah. we spent a lot of time on it, but I think it, I think it, it deserved to have that amount of time put on it. So anyway, I absolutely agree. I, I think for me, at least that's probably the biggest, biggest takeaway out of both episodes, bringing value to other people first. It doesn't matter if it's in real estate or whatever you're doing, you're going to be successful at it. If that's the mindset that you have, it's one of my, one of the things I've enjoyed the most about even going to the, your events, Rod Cleef's events, being surrounded by these, these people in this space is it seems like all the people making big things happen they're they're there to help other people and are really putting other people first yes and i mean thank you for everything you've done with your events and this podcast i mean just what we're doing right now that's what it is this is awesome yeah thank you very much my pleasure i hope it helps a lot of people too all right so on to on to question 13 we're getting to the end here uh what do you think the biggest mistakes newer investors are making that keeps them from being successful for sure, it's keeping all of a grape. I love that. So they're like, they either think that they need to do a certain amount of, of grapes. And, and by grape, I kind of almost mean like one to four family, you know, oh, yeah. one to four families. They're like, okay, I've got, I've got to own all of a, of a four unit. I've got to own all of a 10 unit. And, uh, you know, I can't break it up because that would be giving away pieces of my pie. And that would be like hard to partner with people. So the, the real mistake that I think uh, new investors make is, is the opposite of what Joe Fairless has done. Joe Fairless, he might, he owns 400 million and truthfully, yeah. and it, and it's okay. He owns a small fraction of 400 million because he gives away, gives away, gives away. But because he's done that so long and now he has a, you know, almost a half of a billion dollars of a portfolio, it's going to allow him the trajectory that he needed to go to the very next level. I mean, he's a multimillionaire, granted, 
Oh yeah. Um, but not very many people can grow as fast as he did. And he knew the power of leverage and why leverage, I mean, in all ways, leveraging other people's knowledge, levering other people's time, other people's relationships, other people's money, other people's credit. And when you become a partner and you have $400 million, it's a pretty big watermelon. <laughs> yeah. Even a, a small a slice. giant watermelon. Yes, yes. So that, that's, that's what I think most people are making mistakes in is, um, is trying to do it all themselves and trying to keep all of the puzzle, all of the uh, pie to themselves. So no, that's awesome. And on to our last question here. I mean, it's, I think it's obvious to anybody who's listened to you or seen you in person, you have a, a huge passion for what you're doing. Uh, what's, what's your why? Uh, what drives you and what about real estate fits that vision and keeps you driving forward? Well, I have a short answer to that. Um, I, I do have kids. I have children and I want to leave a legacy to them. But I'll, I'll just be completely honest. When uh, Trevor McGregor was on the episode, uh, we talked about this as well. I, I said, hey, am I, am I selfish by having this be my why? And he was like, absolutely not. Which actually I was always worried that um, this was a, a self-serving why. Um, but it's the real true passion and I can't get away from it. I don't, I, it's just ingrained in me. I want to be a legend. I want to one day die and to have a ridiculous amount of people come to my funeral, to have, to live on for years. I'm crying. I want to live on for years and years and years past my death. Because people said and will say that Adam Adams changed their life. So that's awesome. What I super, super care about, and you could tell because I got emotional. That's the is passion. Offering value to other people so much that my name can live on and on and on. The Blue Spruce name will live on. When I die, it'll still have a reputation, a great reputation. And that's what I super care about. I care about my kids, but like, I could offer so much to my kids if I didn't spend time growing these businesses so big, you know, I could spend more time with my kids if I didn't do this podcast. The real reason to spend all this extra time and effort is, is because it benefits my business. It benefits my kids. But when it comes down to it, this podcast will live longer than ever than I ever will. My name, hopefully if I do everything right and I offer enough value to other people, hopefully I could be a legend. And I know that just sounds conceited or whatever, but that's the, the real what's behind why I go the extra mile, why I do more than most people. So. Oh, I love that. And like I said, you can tell how passionate you are about it. And I, I, you say it sounds conceited, but when you talk about your reason why behind it and it's, it's helping people and you wanna be remembered for that, I think that's incredible. And it, I mean, that shows through in every event of yours I've ever been to and will continue to go to. And it keeps driving me and inspiring me to go forward. So I really appreciate that, man. Thank you. Last question. Uh, I think I think we had one more that we queued up and that's, you talked about it. You got, you got kids, you got business, you got multi-businesses, meetups. So you're one of the busiest people I've ever met. Uh, how, do, how do you manage to, to make all this time and be time efficient. I mean, a lot of us, us newer investors have full-time jobs and it can get 
overwhelming for sure. So how do you manage to keep your time set for, for all the different things you're doing? I love it. Okay. Cause there's a lot of people that might have a full-time job right now. And I mean, I have, I have three companies, two kids, blah, 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 blah. Uh, just as busy as anyone else. I, I, I have a podcast, so I'm just doing more and it doesn't, and I'm not saying that for any other reason. I'm saying that I may not be the best at managing my own time. Earlier when you kind of told me that you were going to ask this question, you were like, you're so good at managing your time. And I don't know if that's like completely accurate, but I'll tell you what allowed me to do more is partners, uh, my passion, and then just keep just persisting, like being relentless, even though uh, it's not easy, you know, and of course the passion. So partner, passion, persistence. So find yourself partners who can do the hard stuff because if, if you're doing the stuff that you're not good at, it, I, don't, I think you're only going to last so long. So partner. Number, number two is do something that you're totally passionate about. I'm passionate about leaving a legacy and helping others. I'm passionate about that. So I will spend extra waking hours responding to emails, responding to Facebook, responding to Insta, uh, recording these podcasts, whatever. I'll spend more time on it because I actually love it. And um, I just have grown to be always persistent because what I've known noticed is there's a lot of people that could have like invented the light bulb. There's a lot of people that could have, you know, you know, maybe had uh, $400 million in a real estate. But the only reason they don't do it is because they failed a lot of times. But the people that succeeded at it still failed a lot of times. That's the important thing that you have to understand is if you persist, that which we persist in doing becomes easier to do, blah, 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 blah. If you focus on it, then you're going to be the one who makes the 1,001st light bulb. You know, the 1,001st attempt at the light bulb. And if that doesn't work, then you're going to go 1,002. Um, and for, for most people, when they have a full-time job and they start to kind of beat them ha their heads against the wall, or for most people with kids, or for most people with this or that, they allow themselves the excuses. They allow that. They let it in. They, they, they welcome it. They say, you know what? You know, I just can't do it. I just shouldn't do it. I'm a full-time engineer. I, sh I shouldn't do it. I've, I've got four kids. You know, this is, this is for people that are single. I wish I would have taken that path, but I've got four kids. You know, I'm a doctor. I don't, I don't care what you are, how many hours you work. Um, there's always a way. And that's what this whole podcast is about, is instead of saying, I can't, figure out how can I, how can I? It might take partners, it might take doing something that you're passionate about, and it might just mean that you need to keep being persistent, even though it sucks for a while. But there's always a way. So that's my best answer to that. I think that's awesome. I'd be lying if those last two questions didn't give me chills and get me ramped up here. So 
Well, that means that we ended on a good note. I'm excited about that. I've got to run. You've got to run. But we will be back in two days. Not you and me, but not, not Brandon and Adam. But Adam and you, the listener, we will be back in two days. We'll be right back with you. So don't wait. Don't go too far. And always, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. And or if you love this episode, give me a five-star rating. You could be sipping on a cup of coffee. Smell that coffee, guys. It smells so good. And it's in your happiness is passive cash flow coffee mug. Your happiness is passive cash flow coffee mug. And if you want that, you got it. Just leave me a five-star rating and review. Brandon, you got your t-shirt or coffee mug, didn't you? Yes, I did. Okay. Yes, Perfect. I did. See, see, I, I am not lying about this. I really give these things to the listeners. So you could be sipping on your cup of coffee, knowing every morning that you are in that happiness is passive cash flow life. Just by taking a screenshot shot of your five-star review and emailing it to me. Just email that screenshot real fast to Adam at Real Blue spruce.com and i'll get you this mug or the t-shirt where you could be walking down the street showing people that you invest in real estate that will be a great conversation starter especially if you want to find your passive investors but if you want to get it you just have to email me adam at realbluespruce.com with your five-star rating and review thank you so much for listening and until next time think outside the box as always, thank you for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. This is Adam Adams with a reminder that any deal that we share on this podcast is for accredited investors only. However, if you want to raise money with us, you can always be a part of one of our deals. We do have that 400 plus unit that's in Atlanta, Georgia, just a hot, hot market that we're excited to be closing. And I want you to close it with us. So if you want to raise money with us, or if you're passive, you want to join and be a part of these 400 plus doors, would love to have you. And as always, leave us a five-star rating and review and get one of these happiness is passive cash flow mugs.